Well, I'm thankful for the opportunity to serve you guys with God's Word and also to serve Paul. I don't know if everyone knows, but Paul's taken off tomorrow, correct? Yep. And Paul and Laura are going to a conference up in Minneapolis, so they get to go further north. Probably just be, be just as cold, but um, on prayer. And uh, so this is well-timed, I think, and hopefully it will be a blessing to you guys as well as, as Paul. As he said, we're going to be in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 if you want to uh, head over there. Um, I know that there has been over the past few weeks some back and forth between Packer fans and Bear fans, and it was all settled last week, and there were no punches thrown or anything at the house, right? Everything was, was good. We kept our, our Christian character. And uh, as I was thinking about some things, I was thinking about um, how it's interesting how we choose the teams that we root for. Uh, most often it's because of the area that we grow up in, right? So most people around here are, are Bears fans. And we've kind of adopted the Bears. I grew up in Northeast Ohio, so I have um, been plagued with the responsibility of rooting for teams from Cleveland. So I root for the, Bear, the, the Browns, which are terrible, and the Cleveland Indians, uh, which have had a few good seasons here and there. And then I, we've moved here. I went to Moody Bible Institute and adopted the Cubs for some reason. So I am a glutton for punishment when it comes to rooting for teams. And uh, I've chosen these teams because of areas that I've lived in and I've chosen very poorly. So uh, don't, don't root for who I root for. Um, I think we also choose based on family and friends. Sometimes our, our father roots for a certain team. We don't live around them, but we, just, we will root for that team because our parents or friends root for them. Sometimes I've actually found myself rooting for the Yankees which is terrible. I mean, I know, confess that sin now in front of everyone. My wife, I, I, can't, I have to do it very quietly because she despises them above all of the teams. But I have a friend who grew up in Staten Island, and he's there in Manhattan in a church now as a pastor. And so I want the Yankees to do well because it makes Mike happy. And so I, I kind of root for them sort of halfway if I have to. Um, <laughs> and so I, I root for them because I like Mike, and I want Mike to be happy. And, and here in First Timothy, here's the connection. God's heart is revealed to us. Um, God's desire, what God wants, in, is told to us. And it becomes apparent in this passage that if we are truly God's children, uh, if we truly love God, then we will want what God wants. We will desire what God desires. That, that seems to be natural because we love God, therefore we will love the things that God loves. So, Let's look at, at, at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-8, through 8, and we're going to see what God desires, what God wants, and then how our heart and how our desires should be shaped by what God wants. Let's read this together. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we'll be reading, actually let's start in, in um, chapter 1, just read 18-20 through 20 to give a little bit of context. Um, I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard, but it should be real similar to the ESV that is the, the Bible that you have in the chairs there. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 18. It says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, 
who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. The book of First Timothy, as we've been going through it here at Missio Dei, uh, is written by Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. And Timothy is a young pastor at a church that Paul had planted. And so he's giving him some instructions. He's up to this point been talking about some false teachers within the church. He's talked about the transformative power of the gospel, how it's changed him personally from being a blasphemer, from being someone that was opposed to the gospel to now someone who is proclaiming it. And not only changing that, bringing us from darkness to light, but then also causing us to fight this good fight, um, to, to keep good faith and conscience throughout the rest of our lives. So this is what the gospel has done in Paul's life. It's what it's done in Timothy's life, and it's what they want to see happen in this church. Um, and so I want to, let me explain very briefly just kind of a flyover of what the whole point of verses 1 through 8 is, because we're going to kind of go at it in a jumbled way. We're going to look at the middle verses first and then go back to the top ones and then look at verse 8. So it's going to be a little goofy. So let's get a, a full flow. Um, here's, here's kind of exactly what's happening. If you want to follow verses 1 through 8, it's, a, it's um, the flow of the argument goes like this. In light of the call from verses 18 through 20 to fight the good fight of faith, to keep faith in a good conscience, Paul now encourages believers to make prayer a priority. He calls us to pray for all people, and especially for rulers and those in authority, with the goal of our prayers being the promotion of peace and of godly living. Uh, These prayers for all men and the peace and the piety that that come out of that are pleasing to God because because such things allow His great desire for all men to be saved to become a reality. In fact, God's entire plan of salvation, which is seen in Him sending Jesus as the mediator, Um, is proof of his great desire for all people to be saved. In light of this, then, Paul calls men in particular to pray. Now, that is way too much, so we're going to unpack all that. But that's just kind of the flyover. That probably made maybe a little bit of sense. But now let's let's dive in, and we're going to dive in um, in verse 3. This is what Paul says in verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of God of the truth. I believe that verses 3 and 4 are the the force behind this desire for prayer. Paul says in in verse 3 this. What's the this referring to? It's referring to verses 1 through 2. The 1 and 2 this um the the prayers for all people to be saved and to live a godly life. So this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. Why? Because God desires all people to be saved. That's the first thing that we're going to talk about. God desires the salvation of all people. God desires the salvation of all people. Paul tells us that God has this desire, has, has a want, and that, that desire is that all people would be saved. God is a holy and a righteous God who must punish sin. And because we have all sinned, we are all under His just wrath and and condemnation, but his desire is that we would all be saved from his wrath against sin. 
That's God's heart, which is what Timothy tells us, or what Paul tells us here. Listen to these words from Ezekiel 33. Maybe you've heard these before. Ezekiel 33:11. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. And then he calls out to the people. This is God speaking. He says, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? God's desire is not the death of the wicked. We often look at the Old Testament and we think that that seems to be God's desire, that he wants to strike everyone down. But here, right in the middle of Ezekiel, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure in that. My desire is that all people would be saved. So God desires the salvation of all. He desires that all people would come to a knowledge of the truth, is what it says there in, in verse 4. We might be tempted to, to doubt the, the wideness of God's love. But then Timothy, or Paul, I keep saying Timothy, Paul writes in verses 5 through 6 and he explains the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel helps us see how much God desires this, how much God desires for all people to be saved. Think about this. Uh, verse four or verse five, it says, "For there is one God." There's there's the first truth that, that Paul gives us about the gospel. There is one God. It's a truth that people need to come understand to, that we need to come to understand the truth that among all the other gods that we can make up in our own minds or that have been made up throughout all human history, there is one God. There is one God who has created us and owns us and calls us to live according to His standard, and therefore He has the right as our Creator to to tell us what is right and what is wrong, and to judge us accordingly. There is one God. So he says, verse 5, there is one God, and then he says there is also one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So there's one God, but there is also one mediator between God and us. A mediator. It's a go-between. In our sinful nature, we cannot approach God because He is holy. So we need a mediator. And Jesus is the only one that can be our mediator. There is only one mediator. Jesus can be our mediator because look what it says. It says, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is unique. He is special above anyone else. He is the God-man. He is deity in human form. So as, as God, he can approach God in holiness, uh, in his righteousness. He can come before God with no fear, and stand before God. But he is also man, and so he can represent us to the Father. He can have sympathy for us, and ultimately, he can die as our ransom. And that's the third point that, that, that Paul gives us about the gospel. There is one God, there is one mediator between God and us, and that mediator, Jesus, has died as a ransom. Verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus, even though he was pure and blameless, became God in the flesh so that he could die on our behalf, so that he could become our mediator, so that he could become the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The one who, who would come and, and in that Old Testament picture of, of the Lamb that they would bring and they would place the sins of the people on the Lamb, and kill the Lamb in place of the people, Jesus became that for us, taking the punishment of our sin upon Himself. Now, this message of the Gospel, that there is one God and one mediator, and God has sent His one and only Son to come and, and to die for us, shows us God's heart. 
God has done all of this for us, his enemies. In John 15, I was thinking about, I was speaking on friendship recently. In John 15, Jesus says, there's no greater love among men than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. So the greatest love that we can have as human beings, apart from the power of God, is to lay down our life for a friend. Then we move over to Romans and we find out this. In Romans chapter 5, it says that Jesus has laid down his life for his enemies. That at the perfect time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ comes not only to die, to, to die for us as his enemies. He has loved us and God desires so much the salvation of all people that he's willing to send his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be made right with God, so that we can have this mediator. That is the message of the gospel, and it reveals to us that God desires the salvation of all people, that all would come to know the truth. And he has pursued us all the way to the point of sacrificing himself to reveal that heart. So verses 3 through 6 give us kind of the the motivation for everything else, all the instruction that's going to come out of this. God's heart is that all people would be saved. So God desires the salvation of all people. And we are called to desire the salvation of all people. That's the second thing that that Paul is telling Timothy. If God desires this, then we are called to desire the salvation of all people. Our hearts are to beat in concert with the heart of God. We are children of God if we have been saved by the gospel. And his desires should be our desires. If we desire the salvation of all people as God does, then, then it's going to change us. If you believe something, it changes what you do. And, and Paul is now saying, if you truly desire this as God does, then it's going to change your life. We can't sit here and, and talk about how we really love people and we want them to come to a knowledge of the truth, but it not change us. It has to change us if we really desire that. It, it caused God to go to the point of sending Jesus to die for our sins. It's got to change us in, in some way. And, and Paul says that it will change us. The first thing that Paul says we will do if the desire for the salvation of all people is, is in us is that we will pray. We will pray. Verses 1 through 2. Read these again with me. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Paul says that prayer is of first importance. First of all, above everything else, pray. And then he he starts piling up terms, entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving. One way you could translate that, if you really wanted to, would be, I urge that prayers and prayers and prayers and prayers of thanksgiving be made on behalf of all people. Paul's just piling up terms saying, we've got to pray. Prayer has to be our priority. We need to pray. And we need, you, need, you guys need to pray. We need to pray for people. Now we think about that, you know, if God does, if we are to desire the salvation of all people, my initial response is I've got to do something. Well, then the response is I should share the gospel. I should create some sort of evangelistic program where I should go stand on the street corner and, and preach the gospel. And certainly we need to share the truth of the gospel, right? But Paul says, first of all, you need to pray. All sharing of the gospel must be preceded by prayer, by petition to God, by asking Him to do something in the lives of people. And Paul tells us who we're supposed to pray for here. 
he says that we are to pray for all people. That, that phrase, I, I didn't emphasize it probably well enough as I read through, but he says it in verse, chapter one, or verse 1, all men, we are to pray on behalf of all men, meaning all people. Um, later on, uh, it says, who gave his life as a ransom for all, in verse 6. We are to pray for, for all people. That's a big group, isn't it? Um, I've heard it said by whoever says things like this. I don't know. Um, all means all, and that's all all means. Have you guys ever heard that? So all means what? It means all. It means everyone. There's no one excluded from that category. God's heart is for the salvation of all people. He doesn't desire the salvation of men more than women. He doesn't desire the salvation of Americans more than Africans. Uh, he does not love those that are born into Christian homes more than he loves children that are born into Muslim homes. He does not care for the young more than he cares for the old. God desires the salvation of all equally. Paul has a special reason to make this point, and he kind of, it comes up there at the end of, of this passage in verse 7. He says, For I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. Hey, this little excursus, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. It's kind of like, I really mean this. I am appointed a preacher and an apostle, telling the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the fa- in faith and truth. The Gentiles. That, that, that would strike the people in, in the church there. And, and Timothy knows this is an issue. The Gentiles. God has called the Gentiles as well because the Jewish believers had so often said that we are God's chosen people and, and God's heart is, is for us. And now within the, the New Testament, God's desire, which has been his desire from eternity past, he says, no, my heart is for all people. For the Gentiles, even. And Paul, we remember Paul's testimony from earlier in chapter 1? This man who was a blasphemer, who hated Christians, who was in that category, who was a Jewish person who said, this Christian faith must be snuffed out, now has been called, and in this great irony, has been called as the apostle to the Gentiles. You're going to preach the gospel, Paul. Oh yeah, and you're going to preach it specifically to the people that you don't want to preach it to. It's Jonah all over again. Where, Jonas, where God says, go to the Ninevites. And Jonah says, I don't want to go to the Ninevites. And all the way to the end, he says, I'm so mad, God, that you saved the Ninevites. This has been a problem all throughout human history. And Paul is making this point. God has called us to pray and desire the salvation of all people. All people. Because that is his desire. And it's been his desire since the beginning of time. So... Paul has been appointed as this apostle to the Gentiles. And there were surely people in the church that didn't want the salvation of the Gentiles as Paul did. And we know that racism and classism and prejudice exist. And they have existed in the church and in the people of God as long as it has existed. And they exist here. Because they exist in me. And they exist in you. We have prejudices. We all have these things. But Paul calls us, based on this, this amazing love of God, this, the love that would cause him to send Christ to die, to become our mediator. Paul calls us to pray for all people. For white Americans, and for African Americans, and for all other immigrants. For Hispanics, and Latinos, and Asians, and Africans, and Europeans. For terrorists and car bombers 
and abortion clinic doctors and death row inmates for white suburban teenagers, for black inner city teenagers, for 90-year-old nursing home residents, for the uneducated and the well-educated, for the rich, for the poor, for the homeless and the helpless, and the people that if they walk through the door, we might initially say, Ugh. for the people that break into your car. Praise God for that prayer request. For the people that break into your car, we are called to pray for all people. There's no one in the world, there is no one in the world that God does not desire to see come to salvation. He doesn't desire the salvation of one nation or one people or one ethnicity or one class more than any other. And in turn, if we have been saved by God, that must be our heart. That has to be our heart. So I think part of the application here is where are our blind spots? Who is our Gentiles? Who do we just... We're not really praying for their salvation. How do we get a heart like God's? I think the irony of this is that praying for all people reveals that we have a heart for God, but praying for all people also helps us get the heart of God. How do you, want, how do you get a heart like this? You, you pray. You pray even though you might not want to. You say, God, I pray for the salvation of all people, and you get specific. Here's two ways it hit me as I was studying this and just the application in my own life, and there's specific application for everyone here, so don't just say this is what I have to do. But I was thinking about this, praying for, how do I pray for all people? And as I was driving in my car, I was telling Andrea that I was driving in my car and I was listening, sometimes I listen to sports radio, and um, sometimes sports radio, if you've ever listened to it, they, they get offensive. And I just, you know, you just turn it off. And I turned it off and I thought, I wonder if I've ever prayed for these guys. You know, I listen to them on the radio all the time. I've never really prayed for their salvation. I cringe when they do something I don't like, but did I ever, have I ever prayed for them? And so I stopped and I prayed for them on my way to Target. And I went into Target. To, I had to deal with something in there and I just felt like the sales clerk was a little rude to me. <laughs> Nothing against Target. I'm sure if I would have gone to Walmart, it may have happened there as well. But I felt like this person was rude to me, and so my initial reaction was to, to go against that. And as I was walking out, I, I just God's you know, word comes to your mind. It says, pray for all people. I should pray for this person. I should pray for her salvation. Or that if she is a believer, that, that she would reflect that in her job. <laughs> We can pray for all people just by interacting. As we walk through our day, we see people, we interact with people that we know or we don't know. We, we pray for them. The other one that came to mind is this here. Has anyone seen Operation World? It's big because it's the definitive prayer guide to every nation. Here it is. Every nation in the world is in this book with, with prayer requests specific for it. It's even on a calendar. So on August 5th through 6th, you would be praying for South Korea. Um, on August 19th, you'd be praying for Madagascar. And you go through this, and there are specific prayer requests for every nation in the world, for all the people groups of the world. And we suddenly, we start blowing up our minds to think outside of our circles, and we start thinking about, about the world, about all peoples, all people. And I was convicted because my wife has been trying to get me to, we, we committed to do this, and we have not been doing it. And so I'm, I'm recommitting, convicted by God's word, to pray for all people. So if we desire the salvation of all, we're, we are to pray, and we're to pray for all people, regardless of who they are. And then specifically, he says, what, we're, we're to pray for kings and all rulers. You see that in, in verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority? Now, here's a place for prejudice and hate, right? 
<laughs> you may say, you mean I'm supposed to pray for Republicans? I'm supposed to pray for Democrats? Are you serious? That's even harder than, than racism and classism and things like that. We might think that that's hard, but think about Paul. Paul Paul's saying, you guys need to pray for all your rulers. You need to pray for Nero, this guy who's persecuting you and is killing your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to pray for all the people that are in charge of you and are actually harming physically, harming you. Pray that God would save them, would open their eyes to salvation. He even says to be thankful. Give prayers of thanksgiving. God, thank you for Nero and for the relative peace that he brings to this place. We are to pray for our leaders, for our president, for our senators and representatives, for our state leaders, for our city officials. We're to pray for world leaders, for the good, the bad, and the ugly all around this world. We are to pray that God would save them. And not just for their salvation, but we're to pray that they would lead and govern in a way that would allow us as followers of Christ to live in peace and godliness. It says, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. He says, pray that they would enact and enforce laws that would allow us to live in a way that would proclaim the gospel so that we can live in peace and live lives that reflect what God has made us to be. We're to pray that governing authorities that have been placed in authority by God would make laws that would allow, allow us to live in a way that promotes the gospel. Now, we won't do this if we're doomsday prophets that think the world is coming to an end or if we fill our minds constantly with people that are, that are talking terribly about the other person on the other side of the aisle and, and just caustic things that are said about um, politics. If, if we're just constantly angry about politics, we will never pray for those people. But if we disengage, we won't pray for them either because we won't have any idea what's going on. So there's got to be some sort of healthy balance here where we know what's going on in the world, but we are not so engaged as to think that this is the be-all and end-all of life. And if politics goes down the tubes, then, well, all life is over. But we need to be engaged enough to pray for world leaders. So if we desire the salvation of all people as God does, then we will pray and we will pray for all people, regardless of race or class or anything else. And we will pray for government and authorities that they would, that they would come to Christ and that they would rule our nation in a, play, in a way that, that allows for peace so that the gospel can be promoted. So that's, we will pray if we have a heart like God's, but also we will live lives that reflect the gospel. And I think that's rooted in, in verse 2. And, and I think it's a good, a good tie to next week. Um, verses 9 through 15, that, that the way we live as men and women reflects the heart of God and reflects the gospel. But here he says, we want to live these peaceful, quiet lives so that we can live in godliness and dignity or holiness. Um, so we want to live lives that reflect the gospel, and that will give us a heart like God's. Now, this desire for peace and tranquility isn't so that we can enjoy some sort of Christianized version of the American dream where our kids are safe and we have nice big houses and we can travel wherever we want and we're generally self-consumed consumers. You know, that, that's not, we don't want peace that way, but peace so that we can live godly lives, so that we can live sacrificial lives, so that we can live in a way that reflects the gospel and ultimately so that people would come to know the truth. Our desire for peace is... So peace and tranquility lead to godly and holy lives, which then lead to the salvation of souls. Peace that comes from the governmental authorities because they put these laws in place that lead to tranquility 
and, and peace then allow us to live in a way that, honor God, that honors God, which then draws people to Christ. So what's the end goal again? Is that people would be saved. It's for the salvation of sinners. And then Paul brings these two together in, in verse 8. He says, so I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. He says, I want men in particular, I want them to be holy people, people that live lives that reflect the gospel and can hold up hands that are holy, hands in surrender, and that they would pray, that they would be men of prayer. Men, this is a specific call to us as leaders in our homes and as leaders in the church to be men who are pure and holy and who lift up holy hands and lead our families and the church in prayer. We are to lead in this. That's a tough call. That is a a sobering call. I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. God's heart is that all people would be saved. And if we are his children, that will be our heart. And if that is our heart, then we will pray. We will pray for all people everyone. And if that is our heart, then we will live lives that reflect the gospel. We will be changed and we will live lives that reflect the gospel and and draw people to Christ. So I pray that, that we see God's heart and that we are transformed by God's heart. I've heard it said that the most frequent lie told in church is, I'll pray for you. We've all told that lie, haven't we? And so I appreciate that the, the, the kind of wave of people that when you say, I'll pray for you, you know what, let's pray right now because I'm going to forget. You know? <laughs> so I think in response to this passage, it would be good for us just to pause and to pray and to do these things. So here's what we're going to do. There's a, um, some concentric circles. Here's a way to pray. Very often we stick in that middle circle, don't we? It's just where we're at. We kind of break out into the community sometimes, but do we, do we pray for our country and do we pray for the world. And this is just a tool to help us think through this. We're going to pray through these four things. If, if this is something that helps you to expand your mind and your heart for the gospel, um, make your own little thing and you can get even, you can put more circles in there. Four is not a magic number or anything. <laughs> put as many circles in there as you want. Um, but I think that this helps us to, to, to think locally and to, to continue to get broadly so that we are praying for all people. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to we're going to pray. I'm going to to pray a short prayer. Uh, we'll start with friends and family. I'll pray for that in general, and I'll pause for probably about uh, 30 seconds or so, and and everyone will just pray silently in that category, in that circle. Okay, and then we'll move out to community. We'll move to our our country, and we'll move to the world doing that with me praying, and then pausing for a little bit so that we can all pray. Does that make sense? I'll pray for the world, then there'll be a a time of silence, and Paul is going to come up and and close us in prayer um, and then lead us through communion. But um, as we pray, let's let's strive to pray according to, you know, if you still have your Bible open, feel free to leave it open so we can pray in this way. Pray according to what Paul tells us to pray here, that we would pray like that. So um, let's let's spend some time doing what God's Word has, has called us to do this morning.